This is Growth Decoded to Go, a podcast from a show that helps you grow your business by figuring out the customer experience, one piece at a time. We do this to share our findings with you, wherever you are. Because this podcast is only the audio portion of the show, there might be some references to visuals. But don't fret, because we've included links to the video version of the show in the podcast description. All right, let's get into it. Ahoy there, Internet, and welcome back to Growth Decoded, a plantastic show about the different aspects of the customer experience and how they help you grow your business. I'm your host, Ernie Santarelli, and did I just say plantastic? You bet I did. And that's because of my trusty sidekick here, Plantasia. Astute observation as always, Plantasia. The depth of your wisdom, like your roots, never ceases to amaze me for how modest of a plant you are. Let's start with a riddle. What's a thing that streamlines your operations, makes acquisition easier, helps inform your content strategy, and helps potential customers see that you are the best option for their situation? Give up? A strong positioning statement. On this show, we talk about the two golden rules of the customer experience. One, know your customer. And two, manage your customer's expectations. But there's an unwritten precursory rule to rule number one. That's right, a foundational concept that goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks. Now, I know what you might be saying. What did the ancient Greeks know about the customer experience? To be completely honest, I don't know. And I'm not sure that we'll ever be sure, but they knew about this foundational principle that certainly helps to create a better customer experience. Socrates himself once said, or maybe it was Aristotle, or maybe it was just some insightful dude with a chisel and a flair for the dramatic working on the Temple of Delphi. We can't know for sure, but anyway, someone once said, to know thyself is the beginning of all wisdom. And that's the unwritten rule of the customer experience. You must know yourself first, because that defines what you do, how you do it, and who you do it for. But let's take it further than that. Apply it to your offering, to your product or service. It's not always what you think it is. Well, what is it actually? Who is it for? And what does it help them do? If you organize these points into a succinct, concise statement, your positioning statement, and see how much easier the other parts of your marketing and operations become. How does one lead to the other? Well, for more on that, we sat down with marketing consultant, author, and CEO of SEO agency Webris. He's Ryan Stewart. Let's meet him. All right. Uh, today, I am joined by Ryan Stewart. Ryan is a self-defined process nerd, um, a builder of effective, highly detailed systems. He's a marketing consultant. Uh, he offers services in strategy, content, SEO, paid traffic, social media, automation. Uh, he's the CEO of Webris, the marketing agency, a top-rated SEO agency. Um, he's also one of the authors of SEO Blueprint, which is a number one bestseller on Amazon. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Welcome to Growth Decoded. Thank you for having me, Ernie. Glad to be here. Yes, absolutely. Um, so one thing that I'm very excited to talk to you about is this idea of positioning. Um, so I guess we'll start at the, the start. Uh, how do you define positioning? Positioning to me, um, you know, I think it depends a little bit on your business type. I mainly focus on service-based software and, and B2B based companies. To me, market position is really just the who, right? What market segment are you speaking to? Uh, and what problems, what are their problems specifically is your company, is your product, is your service solving? So it's really about carving out, you know, a specific space 
that you can own. And it's all about the people on the other side. I think sometimes as businesses, especially service-based businesses or even product companies too, we get obsessed with us. We're always talking about us, our features, our benefits, our service, what we do, but it's really not about us. It's always about them, right? So market positioning helps us to kind of put the, put the emphasis back on the customer and understanding who they are, what they want, what their pain points are. And then we come in to help them solve those problems with whatever our product or service may be. Mm, okay. So, I mean, it sounds pretty important, but how, how important is it? It's incredibly important, especially for, for smaller businesses. Again, um, a lot of us start businesses. I'm an entrepreneur. I've started a bunch of businesses, failed at a few, had a few successful ones myself. But um, again, we tend to, we tend to start with ourselves, right? But market positioning, again, especially in the service-based businesses, we work a lot, like I said, with agencies, with B2B companies. And the great thing about service-based businesses, the ability to adapt your service to the needs of the customer, right? So we put a lot of our customers through this uh, market positioning exercise. We'll really just start by understanding what it is that we have kind of experience in, what our skill sets in, uh, and really what market segments we kind of naturally lend ourselves to. Because when you understand, again, the wants, the needs, the pain points of the person on the other end, it's much easier to really help yourself stand out. So you know, the importance, the importance of having a, a well-defined market position um, to me, number one is really the impact on your operations, the ability to streamline things when you're only working with a specific segment of the market or focused on solving the problems of that specific segment. Again, like our agency, for example, we specialize in working with software companies. Um, and when we do that, when you kind of draw a line in the sand, it's difficult at first because a lot of times you feel like you might be cutting yourself off the needs. You might be cutting off a market segment. Oh, we only work with software where we have an attorney lead. It doesn't matter. Let it go. For everyone that you let go, three come back towards you. Um, so it allows you to streamline your operations because when you're only focused on that one market segment, you can hyper, hyper focus your service, your product on solving the pain points of that customer, which helps you stand out, right? When you, uh, you know, for example, uh, if you're if active campaign, for, for example, is looking for an agency, would you want to work with an agency that does everything for everyone in full service? Maybe, or do you want to work with a company that has only worked with uh, email marketing and CRM providers before and has a track record and case study uh, and understands your customer and pain points and the specific points of your market. They understand your product because, you know, they've done it a hundred times before, you know, the answer is kind of simple, right? There's obviously benefits of, of going with a full service agency. But what I tell people all the time is that when you're a jack of all trades, you can become a master of none. Right. Um, and in today's market, specialization, you know, is another way of saying kind of market positioning specialization really helps you to stand out, even though it feels like, again, you're cutting yourself off um, at your legs. So when you're doing the same thing over and over again, it streamlines your operations. Um, it makes hiring easier. Uh, again, it helps you to stand out. So it actually makes acquisition easier, right? We, especially when it comes to marketing, we specialize in doing that one thing, uh, everything from creating content to ranking in search to uh, just generating you know, interest from folks. Um, you know, again, if someone's listening to this podcast and, and they're a software company, then, uh, you know, it's going to be, they're going to be much more likely to, to look us up or reach out to us because again, we understand everything about that because we've done it hundreds of times before in the past. So it's really important. Um, you don't have to do it per se, but uh, I think a lot of smaller, younger companies, especially in the service industries, um, B2B, anything where you can kind of manipulate your service to match uh, the market position, highly recommend it. It's really day and night when it comes to uh, the results for your business that you can see from it. Mm. So if I'm understanding, like what, what we have found throughout the course of this show, like every, every episode we investigate a new topic, it's sort of a different conversation that we have about a different thing and how that fits into the customer experience. And two trends have found themselves in every single episode, and that's know your customer and then manage your customer's expectations. And I think like a lot of what you're saying about positioning 
applies directly to that, right? Like that wasn't hard. That trend came out real, real early, but in terms of like the first thing that you need for positioning, does it start with the customer? Or does it start with like who you are and what you do? Yeah, it, uh, that actually does start with who you are and what you do. Um, you know, for example, so Webris is my agency, but I also have a company called The Blueprint Training where we actually train agencies. Um, and this is literally the first thing when they come into our program. It's kind of a coaching consulting program combined with some video-based trainings. But the first thing that we always put folks through is, is a positioning workbook. And it literally asks, starts by asking them questions um, all the way back to their first job. Like, what, like what is your experience in, right? Um, uh, what do you enjoy doing? Is there anything that you feel like you have a competitive knowledge advantage in not necessarily business wise, but like if you play the guitar and you play the guitar 15 years, you know a lot about guitars more than probably other folks in that space might do. So it does start with yourself. Um, it you starts with what you're interested in, again, experience, what you've got uh, a, a track record of results in, um, things that kind of lend naturally to you. Um, and then it goes into the customer, right? And it goes into kind of your, what you currently offer, but it definitely, definitely starts with the person at the helm and, and, and especially when you're smaller, just getting started. Mm, okay. And so, I mean, once you kind of have that down, like in terms of, you know, getting your positioning aligned and refined and then putting it out there, like what's the first thing that you need? I've seen a lot of stuff about like the the statement, like a positioning statement. Do you need to have one of those? So, so for us, we, we really teach this. It's kind of like in two parts, part one is, is positioning, right? And positioning is a function of strategy, business strategy, right? Um, the other part is offer design. That's more of a functioning of marketing and, and somewhat sales and, and product as well. And, and positioning has to do with product as well too, but it's really the two things that you have to put together. So we use what we call an offer statement, um, which comes off the back of the market positioning, right? So the positioning is all about who and the offer is all about what, right? So positioning is who you service, uh, what market segment, again, it could be um, like industry niche, it could be, um, you know, a crossover of a bunch. There's a whole different ways to kind of select your positioning, right? But then once you have that solidified, then it's about understanding the pain points of that person on the other side and crafting an offer that it really just becomes a solution to that, right? So we spoke about this briefly before we came on. We talked about how, you know, a company the size of Active Campaign isn't going to go through a positioning exercise, right? It's just, you're just too big. Um, there's too many segments that you already service. It's really more of a, of a business strategy thing that lends better to smaller companies or maybe a company that maybe wants to go into a, a new segment, a new business segment, right? Mm -hmm. But offer design, creating an offer and that offer state, which we'll get to in a second, which was kind of your question really a business of any size can go to. And that's just about understanding, again, the customer's pain points. I'm a big person on pain points, you know, especially when it comes to marketing uh, and especially when it comes to SEO. A lot of companies just go right to keywords. They just start looking up keywords and, you know, they then what ends up happening is they get traffic for the sake of traffic, right? But if you really want to convert people, it's about understanding their pain points and becoming the vehicle or, sol or the solution to help them solve those pain points. And that's what offer design is all about. So offer, again, is a little bit more on the marketing side. And the beautiful thing about offers is this is something that you can revisit. We actually revisit quarterly for our businesses. We look at our offer. We look at the validity of it. Um, there's ways that you can kind of validate and um, vet the offer, if you will. Uh, but the output is what we call an offer statement. And that offer statement actually have, actually have it open right in front of me. Um, it consists of, of really three parts of a statement. Who is it for? Number one, what do they want? Number two, and how do they get it? Number three. Um, so for example, our company, the Blueprint Training, uh, again, 
our offer statement goes something like this. Uh, we help SEO agencies uh, generate inbound leads using our blueprint acquisition framework. So who is it for? SEO agencies, what do they want? They want inbound leads. How do they get it? Uh, our blueprint acquisition framework. And this is an offer that we used last year. We actually have a new offer where we're teaching agencies now to productize their service. Mm-hmm. So the core position, again, of our company hasn't changed. Our position is uh, SEO agencies that are doing between ten dollars and $100,000 per month. That's our sweet spot. That's our market position. That's who we go after. Um, but we continuously come up with new offers um, you know, based on the needs of that market, right? Um, so that's an example of how your market position really doesn't change unless you're going up market or unless, um, you know, uh, there's all sorts of reasons why it could change, but it's a little bit more stagnant, but your offer is something that's much more fluid and offer is something that uh, we revisit, like I said, quarterly. We're in, in that then segments down into kind of like what we call micro offers and macro offers. So a macro offer is kind of the main offer of the business, right? So, um, you know, we use a strategy call, that's our macro offer, uh, or like a business analysis is our macro offer. But then the micro offers are things like a VSL, a webinar, uh, you know, even blog posts off the back of that, that just help to break down and communicate that offer, right? We're talking about acquisition for agencies, that in itself, like I said, I was talking about problem solving uh, content, all of the content that we generate, has nothing to do with keywords anymore. We don't give a damn about keywords, even though we're an SEO agency, we care about making money. We're here to make money for our customers. So um, by taking this kind of offer design framework and understanding what is the business doing, right? And what problems are they solving? And then it's just about communicating that through different forms of content. It really simplifies things. It sounds a little bit complicated up front, but when you think about it, it's kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) You know, like maybe we don't need to spend a ton of time and resources, like putting together a 5,000 word blog post, that's just going to rank for keywords that people don't care about, right? They're just searching for that, just to get an answer for, and we're going to put together something with a little bit more teeth. And then we're also going to evaluate how people are consuming that we can put it into video, we can make a TikTok out of it, we can do a, a webinar, we can do a YouTube live, we can do a podcast like we're doing now, right? Uh, these are all different ways that we can build that content. And then after we exhaust that, and we validate value that offer, then we can flip to the next offer depending on you know how that offer is performing. So again, an offer is much more fluid and it transitions seamlessly into how we do all of our marketing, which is mainly content marketing. So, and I might be understanding this a little incorrectly, but you've got you've got your positioning statement or your 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 kind of stake in the ground, right? And then you've got, could you have multiple different offer statements, right? If you have multiple different offers, it sounds like, you know, you you said micro offers and macro offers, but there is definitely little streams sort of on like, for example, there could be an offering statement for this show versus, you know, the active campaign blog. Am, am I getting that right? For, for a company of active campaign size, absolutely, right? Again, you guys have market segments that you go after because your product just solves so many different problems. You've got your CRM, you've got email marketing, you've got Landing, you got so many different segments that you're going after, right? Each of those right. would have its own offer statement as it pertains to how you acquire the customer, right? So like your CRM specifically should have an offer statement. We help blank, do blank, through blank, right? Um, and then again, through that, then you take that and it's much easier to then kind of ideate the content and the kind of the diaspora of content that you need to create around that. Um, and the beautiful thing about that too is so like, our, like I said, the blueprint training, our training company, we tend to go through offers every quarter because it's just a lot more fluid. Right. Our agency Webris, we've really been on the same offer for two years now um, because there's so much there's so much teeth to that. I mean, we're an SEO company that helps out. So we're an SEO, we're an agency that helps software companies get more customers through Google search. That's our offer statement, right? Um, within that, there's so many different avenues to unpack. I mean, SEO in itself is is just is just a massive topic. So we're constantly exploring you know, like different content strategies for for software companies, link strategies for software companies. There's so many different kind of like wormholes that we can go down um, that we haven't had the need to to kind of flip that over. Now, as we continue to grow as an agency, we're 
the, the agency's growth model is to go up market always, right? I mean, most of our software companies are, are smaller, but our goal is to, you know, to, to land all the active campaigns in the world, right? In order to do that, you've got to continuously kind of change your business offer to meet the needs of active campaigns. So for example, most of the software companies we're working with right now, um, they don't have an internal writer. So we're writing the content for them, right? As a part of our service. However, as we go up market, we're finding that a lot of bigger companies, you got marketing teams, man, you got people for days. It's much more of the, the problem that we have to solve for a company the size of active campaign is much different than a software company that's, you know, it's series B, right? Sure. It's a totally different set of problems that you guys have as customers. And we adjust our offer to do so. Our positioning stays the same, right? It's, we service software companies using SEO. That's it. That's all we do. That's all we want to do. But as we go up market, we understand the needs of that customer um, changes, right? And that's really important in, in terms of how we build and develop our service. Um, in the offers that come off the back of that. So for example, like a marketing offer, a micro offer for a smaller software company, just off the top of my head might be something along the lines, like, you know, like how to, how to, how to beat out your competitors and rank first for X, Y, Z keywords. Active campaign probably doesn't care about that much. You know, there's other things that you have active campaign just off my experience. I don't want to tell you guys what's going on over there, but it's usually much more of a, of an organization of a, of a, of a process of a, we have so many people, we have so much going on that like, it's actually difficult for us to prioritize and, and really kind of put our execution, um, you know, into motion. So our offer, we're continuously shifting that to meet the needs of the customer that we want to work with, if that makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why, again, like understanding your positioning is so important because after doing this for, for, for so many years now, I intimately understand the needs of software companies and, and the people and the growth and, and all these things, right? I'm not just reading books about marketing. I'm listening to books like product, like growth, stuff like that, right? To understand more of the psychology of a, of a growing software company. And that's how I feed that into the positioning of the business, right? So again, the, that positioning, it, it's all like, while that our positioning might stay the same, it's, it's a constant learning process and evolution process because as the market changes for you, it changes for us as well. And we have to understand that. And that then feeds into our offers and how we do our marketing and also how we build and deliver our service for customers as well. Right. So it sounds like when it's, when it's done well, when it's done efficiently and effectively, it kind of makes you almost like a chameleon of sorts, right? Like you can kind of alter your coloration to continue the silly metaphor, but to, to match the needs or better fit, you know, what your potential customer might need you for. Yeah. And that's, that's a good way to put it. And that's, you know, there's also kind of an important thing off the back of that, something that we're really, really big on is, is, is what we call productization. So service productization, and you can only achieve the So productization in a nutshell, basically just means turning your service into something that's a product, right? Scalable and repeatable, basically doing the same thing over and over again. And that's not a bad thing, right? That doesn't mean that we're doing less than another company. The company doing custom work is actually exhausting way more resources. They're charging you more, but like, because we know software companies and that's all that we work with, we can build a productized service because we, we already know your needs because we've done it so many times before. Right. So these companies coming in and pitching custom work, it's like, okay, that's great. But like, you're going to spend two months doing an analysis that we've done a hundred times before. Like you can pay them to do that, or we can just go ahead and get started with the work, you know? Sure, um, sure. So you can only, you can only achieve that level of efficiency by having that market positioning dialed in. Right. So that that's also kind of the other part of our formula over the blueprint of service productization, but you can achieve productization, which again, is not a bad thing for customers it's actually better because we're able to be way more efficient. We actually operate in what we call sprints. So like short-term SEO work, we don't do long-term contracts. Um, we're able to kind of flip the marketing script on its head and can, to combat that against other folks. And it all comes down to that position. Like we can't do that if we're working with an attorney and then an e-commerce website and then all these different things. So that chameleon terminology has to be careful because that chameleon terminology 
is about adapting to the needs of the market position, not adapting our service to whoever wants to pay us. Mm. Right. And that's where a lot of folks, especially agencies go wrong because they come in and there's like, damn, this company wants to pay me hundred grand to do pay-per-click. We've never done it before, but I think I can go out and get a contract to do it. Still make 50%, but like, no, 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 you're, you're breaking your process, all that extra, you know, weight and stress and bandwidth that you have to take on just to deliver that it's not worth it. Because if you would have just focused on your customer and gotten better results for the customers that you have, the customers that you have are going to be like, no, I got five people that need your services right now. Like, let's go, let, let, let me make the intro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's a carrot. You know what I'm saying? Just like everything in life, there's a carrot that gets tangled in front of you. You got to know when to take it and when to not take it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like you're a chameleon with like a limited color palette and you don't want to, exactly. you don't want to stretch it too, it's too far. Customizable only to the needs of the, of, the, of the mirror that we're looking in. And that's our customer, you know? And now a word from our sponsor. The communication with your customers is what drives your business. Whether you are sending one-to-one sales messages that you need to track and follow up on, marketing outreach to broad groups or distinct audiences, or transactional emails that the recipient is expecting to arrive fast and secure. With ActiveCampaign, you can run marketing automations as well as send one-to-one emails and transactional messages. Try it for free at ActiveCampaign.com. Who are you? What do you know? What's your area of specialization? What are some opinions in that area that you have that might not be what everyone else is saying? What do you know about a thing that other people would like to know? That other people would pay to know? Okay, good. Now, who are those people? You might recognize that question from the first golden rule of the customer experience. Know your customer. In order to have a strong market positioning statement, there has to be a you that is in a position. But things change. People change. The market changes. Business changes. It all changes. So what can you do to keep up with those changes, both internal and external? Do you change your positioning? Should you rebrand? Is your branding even related to your positioning? Let's go back to Ryan. So when you when you go back quarterly and you kind of reevaluate these offering statements, how much of that is, you know, how much of that is up to you? Like, I know you mentioned, you know, what's going on trends in the market or like, what are your customers telling you or what, you know, what, what does that look like? Like, is it a conversation sort of, I mean, not in the traditional sense, but sort of like you're listening to what happened for the last three months and then sort of adapting, like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's both. I mean, it's, it's communication 360, right? Like we're constantly because especially the blueprint training and also, I mean, at Weber's we're constantly talking to our customers, right? So we just listen, you know, whatever they're saying that they need, or they see something, um, we're constantly feeding that back in into adjusting our offer. Again, a a perfect example of that right now is, uh, is our agency is, is like stuck in between content writing, not content writing. So we're kind of building this building this out based on the needs of the customer, right? Like we got into it wanting to write all this content. And then now we're getting customers that are like, no, like we've got our own writers. We don't really want that. So we're moving to like a content brief system. We're putting together like a coloring book for the writer to just put together from an SEO point of view, right? Uh, Okay. So that came directly from our staff who's meeting with our, or our sales team that's meeting with prospects and being like, no, you know, we're going to go with this other agency because they do X, Y, and Z. We feed that back in, right? So it's 360 from... Uh, listening to our prospects and our sales team, especially, uh, and also our delivery team who's talking and meeting with clients all the time. And then the blueprint 
training, which is our training consulting company for agencies. I mean, we're, we have a Slack meeting. We're constantly running surveys, like at least twice a month running surveys just because we want feedback um, on all sorts of different things, moving to like a paid Slack community, um, you know, turning one of our uh, data studio templates into like a front-facing UI software. We're just like, before we spend the time and energy, we want to know if they want it, you know? So, you know, asking your customers is, is huge, listening to prospects, customers, that whole thing. But then also, I mean, it's just, kind of what separates the businesses who do well from not. And that's just, that's just kind of knowing it's just kind of having a pulse in the business and the market, seeing what else is happening, seeing what other companies are doing, um, you know, staying up to events, uh, up to current events with, again, the market and everything else around you. So, um, you know, I say it a lot to the businesses that I consult with, but like part of being a business owner is learning how to make the right decision. And that just, it comes down to part of it too. So part of it is just having a good pulse on the business, listening and seeing everything that's going around you from your customers to your prospects, to the market, to competitors, all that, internalizing it and then making the right decision about it. Um, and at the end of the day, sometimes there is no right or wrong decision, but um, you know, the revenue numbers don't lie at the end of the day. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to ask like about surveys and it sounds like, I mean, like that seems to be a, I'm, it's one of the first things that comes to my mind is just, you know, how do you, how do you actually get the messaging and the inputs that you would need to then make the output or the, the adjustment to the offering statement? Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say surveys are effective, um, but they can also be, they can also, they can be a double edge. I mean, everything, right. can be a double edged sword. Sometimes you get unwanted solicited advice, but honestly, if you're in a business model where you, you can have conversations with customers just as part of like, I'm not saying like go out of your way to like have one-on-ones, but like, you know, if you are in a situation or business where you're communicating with customers, like that's the best way to do it. Like they're going to tell you, you know, unsolicited or not surveys are good, but they can have mixed results. In all honesty, it's a good way to supplement. But like, again, just listening to your team, listening to your staff, listening to your customers by far the best way to do it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so this, I have a, in this conversation, I've realized we, we have an offering statement for the show. And I'm curious if you wouldn't mind me running it by you. And, and by just, way. Um, okay, so Growth Decoded is a show that helps you grow your business by figuring out the customer experience one topic at a time. Okay. Curious, uh, do we check the boxes that you'd be looking for in an offering statement? Like what, what, are, you, uh, what are you thinking there? So it's, I mean, it's very broad, right? I mean, and, and, and this is what I asked you before, before we came on a recording, I said, you know, who's the core customer here? And you said it's, it's businesses. And I get it. You're, you know, a, a business of active campaign size, like you've, you've earned that level of a broadness, for example, like I, I look at a like Gary Vee, for example, right? His podcast is just the Gary Vee experience where it's just a smorgasbord of like every piece of content that he ever creates. I personally don't like it, but he's at the point where he has so many different pockets of people that he speaks to. It's really the only way that he can do it. Um, I'm a little bit more of a fan of kind of like niche specialization. Um, sure. But again, your numbers don't lie. If your numbers are going up, if you guys are having success and then that can speak for itself, I think the topic is fine. Uh, the only thing I would say is that if you're not getting the numbers that you want, then I would go more specific, but more specific also comes with, you know, potentially having to create more podcasts. Like if you did an email specific one, or if you did like a small business specific one, or if you did, you know, um, you know, there's ways to copy and paste what you're doing. It just requires more of you to do, to do more interviews and more podcasts and whatnot. So that's kind of the trade-off, right? And that's, again, a company of active campaign size, the conversations that you have internally is I do think you would grow much faster in terms of subscribers and listeners if you picked something specific um, and stuck to it. And you could just replicate that across, you know, the verticals that you have, you know, you can do the sales one, you can do the email marketing one, you can do all these different things. Um, but again, that comes with a trade-off in terms of bandwidth, because I, I know how much <laughs> the bandwidth it takes to run a podcast consistently. Uh, and it ain't easy, you know? 
Yes. Um, well, thank you for that honest feedback. Like I, I appreciate that a lot. Um, I, I am inclined to agree with you. <laughs> um, so you brought up Gary Vee, which I think is interesting um, for a couple of reasons, but in this conversation around positioning and sort of what we've talked about, I see a lot of parallels between positioning and branding. Um, and I think like to the Gary Vee example, it's like, yeah, it's just kind of like you're signing up for the Gary Vee experience, right? Like that's literally what it is. It's just, here's the people that I talk to about the things that I'm interested in and the way that I, you know, (laughs) so what, what is the relationship between positioning and branding? Like it it seems pretty similar, but how do you, how do you look at it? I actually don't see them as similar. Uh, I see, again, I see positioning as, as a function of strategy and business strategy. I see branding as a function of design and creative, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Branding is much more of and it's, it's much more than what I'm about to say. So if there's any creatives out there, don't, don't crucify me. Um, but branding is much more of a, of a look, a feel, almost a vibe that you get from, from like your show, from your business, from your what have you, where, where a position is, is, is a, little bit, a little bit more black and white. It literally states it, right? A brand is much more of a feeling that you want to evoke in somebody, right? In terms mm. of, and again, it's much more in the colors, the fonts and stuff like that. It's, you know, to me, branding is, is extends in how you communicate, right? Uh, it, it, like Gary has a very specific brand, like, <laughs> and he's, you know, he's, he's made that clear and that's evidence. Like Gary, Gary understands so many things that he would never actually say. And he, what I think what Gary's really trying to do is just really win over the younger generation with, because as they grow up, they're going to see him as their Steve jobs. And then that's how he's kind of like elevated himself to that level. Right. So that's evidence in how he communicates. That's evidence in the style of their graphics and their content. That's, that's evidence in how he dresses, <laughs> right. You know, um, you know, all that. And uh, again, for better or worse, I, I love and respect Gary. So that's up, up, like for your own opinion. Um, but Gary's van, Gary's brand is, is Gary V. You know, he's a, he, he's even said it that Gary Vaynerchuk is his name, but his, his brand is persona is Gary V. Right. Right. Um, and so that to me is his, his position is who he's trying to go after, but his brand is how he communicates that in a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And I think the, the, the point you made about it being very black and white, like it's almost like tangible versus intangible kind of thing. Like, you know, positioning is more concrete than branding is because branding could be, it's, it's more perception, right? It's kind of different for everybody in terms of like the vibe and the, you know, the way you communicate the tone, the perception of it all. Um, that's, that's a, that's a good distinction to make. Um, so if we're moving, you know, from positioning, like once you have that, obviously it, it makes things easier as you had uh, mentioned earlier, but if we're thinking about it from like a, like a cross channel kind of deal, right? Like your, your positioning sort of influences the way that you're going to promote or the way that you're going to strategize building out a channel. How does, how does it like translate from channel to channel? Like, is it the foundation from which you build off of and develop each channel? Like what, what does that look like? So I, th- I think we're talking a little bit more about, well, about marketing than, than positioning. Right. So okay. to, to me, to me, if, if I'm here question correctly, um, you know, I, so like, I'll, I'll give you an example for myself, right. I, the past two, two months ago, I just decided I drew a line in the sand. I said, I'm going to get, I'm going to get active on TikTok, right. I'm going to start creating TikToks every single day. I'm going to do what I can because it's a freaking real estate land grab there right now. And it's crazy compared to everything else. Right. Um, but the type of content that's created there, while the topic might be the same, the content inherently, the context of it, how it's created, how it's subtitled, how it's captioned is different than Instagram. It's different than me communicating the same thing on Twitter. It's different than a longer video that I put out on YouTube, right? And I think where a lot of people go wrong with this 
like people call it content repurposing. And I hate that. I hate content repurposing. I think it's like the laziest thing in the world. And I'm going to tell you why, because people don't want to go on Instagram and see a, a 60 second clip of a webinar that you gave. Like, it's just boring. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing on TikTok, same thing on Twitter. Like it doesn't translate, you know, same thing on LinkedIn. Like you try and post a video on LinkedIn, people don't give a shit. They just don't. It's not what LinkedIn's for. Like LinkedIn is all about like the long form copy, like, you know, state a problem, agitate, you know, tell a personal story, right? Like it's a copywriter's paradise on LinkedIn, but you try and put that somewhere else and it's not going to play. Right. So like understand the context of it. So what a lot of people do, and this is actually, I think the only thing that Gary Vee's ever kind of said wrong was like, he kind of built out what he called the Gary Vee content model. It was a couple of years ago. And basically it was just a content repurposing model. It was how it, like the title of it was like how I create like 40 pieces of content in a day or something like that. Right. That was four or five years ago and like platforms and networks are like they're segregated, right. In terms of like the users, like a TikTok user is different than an Instagram user. Like our generation, I don't know how old you are, but I'd say our generation is like, Instagram is our Facebook, right? Like my parents, mm. Facebook was, you know, it, it's matured. Instagram's now doing the same thing and TikTok is now coming up, right? Inherently, each audience is different there. So in terms of your positioning and your positioning doesn't change, right? In terms of the content, but what you have to ask yourself is, is this message, is this content, is there an audience for it on X platform? And how do I need to communicate that, right? So again, that's where things like podcasting come into play, YouTube, understanding the inherent differences between all those platforms is, is really the reason why some people have success, some people don't. And I think that goes back to your question about asking me your podcast statement, right? That's, um, you know, a great thing for podcasts, but what I don't see playing well too, unless you inherently have on guests that are like of extreme interest, putting a podcast interview onto YouTube doesn't really play as well because of how people are using YouTube, right? Like, unless you get like Elon Musk to come on the show, um, you know, or like Gary Vee or some like big name that people will like actually sit down and watch on YouTube. It's just different, right? That's just me personally, but I listen to podcasts all the time when I'm walking my dog, when I'm riding my bike, you know, and I'll listen to this podcast every single day, but I probably wouldn't watch it on YouTube. That's just me personally. And everyone has a little bit kind of different context, right? So yeah, I think yeah. the conversation is, is, is it's, it's not like you're, again, your position is set in stone. Like, your position is tied to your product and your service. Like if you want to go out and create content that has nothing to do with your business, that's on you, you know, but it's kind of like creating those long form blog posts. It's like, for what, you know, like, I, like, I don't make any bones about it. I'm, I'm here to make money. That's all. That's what I'm here to do. I'm in business to make money, to provide for my family and to get out of working as early as I can. Cause I just want to spend the rest of my life with my kids and my wife and have, and have a good time, you know? So I make no bones about it. That's what I'm here to do. So you're not going to see me creating content. That's not going to map back to what's going to help drive my businesses. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Go ahead. <clears throat> I, I was just like a lot of what you're saying about the the different users. A TikTok user doesn't look like an Instagram user. Videos don't play as well on on LinkedIn. Podcast interviews might not play as well on YouTube. I think that just goes back to that that trend that like manage manage the expectations, right? And it's like, what are the expectations of that medium or that channel that you're kind of developing? Um, if I'm if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's again like kind of your your podcasting that we talked about too in terms of like specialization in terms of in terms of the, in terms of like creating a niche podcast, right? It's kind of the same thing on social networks. Like you would like, you take this interview and you could take it and turn it into content for other platforms, but just like how you'd have to specialize a podcast to reach a different audience, you have to specialize that content to reach that audience on said network. You know what I mean? Right, and that's right. why I said like, I'm not a fan of content repurposing because you're, you're spending time and energy to do something that's inherently not going to work. You're just doing it just to check a box, right? Like mm -hmm. content for the sake of content, you know, which is a trap that so many businesses fall into. And then they wonder why it's not working. And it's because, well, like you didn't take the time to like actually build something for LinkedIn that people care about on LinkedIn, you know, like people don't want to watch an hour long 
you know, like interview on LinkedIn. It's just never going to happen, you know? Um, right. And just cutting that up into a shorter clip, again, it doesn't want to happen. Like you inherently have to understand the platform and then also contextualize to who your audience is, is on it, it, where, how your audience interacts on that platform, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and to that point about like it just checking a box, like I, I've, I, I think that that is a, like you said, a common trap that everyone feels like they need to be everywhere all the time with everything. Um, and so, I mean, I've seen a lot of content recently, um, more so than I can remember about like, you don't have to be everywhere all the time. In fact, you shouldn't be. Um, and so I think I know where you stand on that, but are, are, what, what, what do you think is like a happy medium? Is it sort of like whatever channels that you feel like you can understand and actually put content on that should be on that? Or like, how, how would you go about like adding new channels? Good question. I think that in a perfect world, you do do everything, but you have to be realistic in terms of execution, right? Like, so one of, I only have one consulting client that I take on per year. And right now it's, it's a company called Jeter. It's the largest cannabis company in the country. They're crushing it, crushing, crushing, crushing hundred million in revenue value that close to a billion dollars going into two new States only in California. Now it's wild. Anyways, their attention to detail and creative is one of the biggest reasons why they are where they are, right? Their product is amazing, but like their creative, their experiences, everything that they do, they want their customer to feel something right in connection to the brand. I've been pushing them for the longest time to get on TikTok, but for them, they're like, look at, we're down to do it, but like, it has to be right. Like, we're not just going to, we're like, we need to understand it. We need to, we need to spend time like researching it. Uh, we need to put together a strategy. We want to put together 60 days of content. We want to get like a, a video guide just for TikTok. You know, like they're doing it right. And I think that's the way that you do it, right? Is that like what you don't do in anything because just like any, like, I just, I'm not a fan of like, doing things just to do it or spending resources and wasting people's time, especially your team time. And this is where I think a lot of uh, larger companies go wrong. So like, yeah, well, we have someone to do it. So just let them do it. But like that person's not going to be happy doing it and it's not the right way. And then that person's going to burn themselves out. And then you just wasted a ton of time and resources and you made an employee unhappy, which is not just not the way you want to do it. Right. Um, so I think if you're like, you should be doing everything period, even if it's TikTok, even if it's like active campaign should be doing TikTok, right. There's a way that you can do TikTok the right way. You just have to, again, alter the content. Like if I was active campaign, I would be doing like, three quick email tips or like, like one quick tip to get your like email, like open your, get your email rates open, like bam, 15 to 20 seconds, right? Like that in itself, great content for TikTok. But if you don't have the time, the bandwidth or the person to do that, then don't do it. <laughs> you know, like don't just take this interview and be like, Hey, uh, Ryan said something cute. We're going to repurpose it on TikTok. It's not going to work, you know, like right. in, in that case, like don't do it. So the only way that you do it is like, I'm just, I say this all the time. Like you either do it or you don't. And if you're going to, if you're going to do it, like do it right or don't do it, you know, because you're not technically hurting yourself by not being on TikTok. You're not, you know, but you are missing an opportunity by not doing it the right way. A huge opportunity and, and all, and same thing on YouTube and Twitter, everything. Right. But you do yeah. have to have the, the right strategy and the right resources to actually execute it the right way. So do you think, is it, is it worse to, to just be on a platform and not do it the right way than to not be on it at all? I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, because I think especially when it comes to content, like people are very, very opinionated and you can like, if you're not, if you're not giving something, if you're not putting the right time and attention into the content to communicate your messaging the right way, then you're leaving it up to the, to the person to jump to their own conclusions and be like, active campaign sucks. Like, look at this garbage. Like this is, you know what I mean? Like, sure. so I think that you either do it or you don't. Um, because again, like you're not hurting yourself by not being on YouTube, but you could be hurting yourself by doing YouTube wrong, you know, yep. um, or just doing it lazy or just not again, dedicating the time and energy the right way to do it. So. Mm. Okay. So let's say you are doing 
content on a particular channel and you're doing it well, you're doing it the right way. Um, and you're looking to expand to another one. Do you have a, a strategy or any tips for, you know, companies that might be looking to expand into another channel to, to determine which one might be the right one for them? Because I mean, yeah, there are sure. so many of them. Spend the time, spend the time uh, like on that platform, you know, like, I, I hate saying the word TikTok over and over again. Uh, like I'm 35 years old for the record. Uh, <laughs> but like, um, you know, I wasn't a user and I was probably like everyone listening to this being like, TikTok is stupid. It's for kids. Like it's a bunch of kids dancing. Like until I actually downloaded it and spent the time on it. And I realized that like, yo, this thing is real. And like, it's like TikTok is just better in so many ways than Instagram. Like it runs on it runs on the interest graph as opposed to the social graph. What that means is that the algorithm, I follow nobody on TikTok, but I still get the best content that's customized for me because the algorithm knows what I want based on engagement, based on other things that are happening on my phone. That's just my hypothesis. But anyways, I don't need to follow anyone. And it's actually better because you realize that when you're on Facebook and you're friends with people and they post something that all you want to do is is yell at each other. You know what I mean? Like, so like the social graph is kind of broken. You know what I'm saying? Like you see all the negativity that happens on Instagram that happens on Facebook, especially during political season, you know? Um, but TikTok is just different. And like, because it's all video and it's like, it's such an, a beautiful short storytelling. And like, there's so much comedy. There's so much more purity there. Like everything is just, it's just a different content. It's a different vibe there. It's a different type of content there. Right. So, um, I forget what the initial question was, but anyways, I got it now, but like spend the time, you know? So I spent the time and like, you know, when I was sitting in the airport, I was like, you know what? Like I got a flight delayed now. I got four hours. Like, let me just get on TikTok. And like, by the time I got on my flight, I was like, I was like, okay, like I get it now, you know? So it's the same thing for anything. Like, do you think that you should be on a podcast? Like, like, like go and listen to other podcasts, you know, like YouTube, same thing, like spend the time on YouTube, you know what I'm saying? Like spend the time on Twitter, like see how people are doing it right. And like, actually use it, you know what I'm saying? As a user, not from a business point of view, like, do you enjoy it? Do you get value from it? And like, what do you get value from? What does that content look like? You know, I think Twitter is another great one. You know, Twitter, a lot of brands just get on there and just start posting their links and just like start dropping bombs. It's like, no, it's a platform to communicate, man. Like, you know, like reply, you know what I'm saying? Like post like thought provoking things, you know, post things that like is going to have like a little bit of controversy and generate some response from people, you know, maybe not in a bad way or political way, but like draw a line in the sand, have an opinion, you know? Um, that can be tough to do as a brand sometimes, but do it within the scope of what you're doing. You know, like for example, active campaign and give like a statement like on LinkedIn or, or Twitter, like email marketing is dead, period. Except, you know, blah, blah, go into your argument. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. Um, that's controversial. That plays well within the scope of what you're trying to do, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the best thing that you can do is just spend the time doing it and, and like just stop being so damn close-minded about everything. Like just because your kid is using it, it's actually probably a good thing. You realize that like this is actually the next, the next network that's going to blow, you know? YouTube's sure. the same thing. Twitter's the same thing. Like Twitter's seeing a massive resurgence in younger people. Like kids don't watch TV anymore. They watch YouTube, you know what I'm saying? Like if that enough doesn't kind of like raise your attention level, then, you know, spend the time on yourself, you know, figure it out for yourself. That's it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really it kind of comes back to what you were talking about for, for reevaluating offering statements. It's just like, listen, right. Spend the time, figure out exactly what's going on on there. What are people saying? What, what's the way that they're saying it? What are the words they're using to say it? What are the things they're trying to do on there? Um, I can't really think of a better place to end this conversation than that. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for, uh, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Great to be here. Okay. So a few things to recap there first branding and positioning are not the same thing. Your branding is a vibe, it's a feeling. It's the intangibles, the tone, the voice, the colors, the fonts, the feeling. Positioning is the black and white, concrete, value-driven, tangible thesis statement 
It's a business function. Second, it's better to not be on a particular channel than to be on a channel for the sake of being on a channel. Why? Well, sort of to the point above about branding. If you're on a channel for the sake of being on the channel, and you haven't spent the time to learn it and create a strong content strategy for that channel, or you're not investing the time to learn and improve the content that you're creating and putting on that channel, it creates a bad impression. This impression isn't tangible, but it's real, and it lives in the minds of the audience. Now, this all means that you're creating awareness, and that's usually a good thing, but in this case, the awareness isn't helpful, it's actually harmful. So if you're gonna expand into a new channel, actually spend the time to learn it. Get on there, learn what it is, what makes it tick. What are the expectations of the content that's on that channel? How do people use it? What do they use it for? What are the different types or formats of content that are conducive to that channel? Don't just repurpose content and spam every channel with stuff that you've already made and stuff that already lives elsewhere. It's not to say that you can't use the insights, the information, the work that you've done on previous content, but the point is actually repurposing it. Well, think about it this way. When you recycle something, now I'm talking about paper, plastic, glass, you know, what happens to it? It doesn't just go into the recycling bin and then magically reappear on a store shelf, right? It gets broken down, the material is used again, and it appears in a different format for a different product somewhere else. It takes some extra work to make that initial material work again. So why would you do this with your marketing content? That material worked in a webinar format, but that doesn't mean it's gonna work as a cut and paste job on Twitter or on Instagram or wherever. You have to do some work to optimize that content, those insights, that information into a format that's more conducive to Twitter or Instagram or wherever you're posting it. And if you're doing this from a business perspective, a strong and concise positioning statement will help you inform the structure and content of the message that you post on those new channels. And that's our show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Ernie. This is Plantasia. This has been Growth Decoded. Until next time, go forth and automate. Thanks for listening to Growth Decoded to Go. For the latest updates on Growth Decoded and links to the live show, you can sign up to be a part of the Grow team at activecampaign.com slash events slash growth hyphen decoded.